one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I lost count. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Um, I just want you guys to know we are a church of wide open arms and we're just so glad that you're here. Uh, our desire is that you'll make Jesus the Lord of your life and that you'll make Downey First Christian Church your church home. And so super glad that you're here. Um, also, I would love to meet you. I would like to, everyone who raised their hand, I would like to meet you personally. So after this message time, what, what's going to happen is I'm going to walk out that door and to the right, you're going to see uh, the guest lounge, which is a little living room area. And I just want to meet you. It's going to be 30 seconds. I just want to catch your name and I just want to say hi. Um, I'm not going to offer you a timeshare or anything like that. So don't, fear not, fear not. Uh, but we're just glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, Today's a special Sunday. Today's a special Sunday. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little nervous because my dad is here. He's been, he's been here for a while now. And we have lots of conversations. Like we, we talk all the time. Probably the, the best conversations that I've ever had in my whole life has been with, with my dad. Uh, he's got a lot of experience. He's got a lot of uh, history. He's preached his whole life. Um, that's why I'm a little nervous because, you know, it's kind of a it's a father-son thing, and I want to do a good job. I want him to be proud of it, you know? And so it's one of those things. But uh, I want to just ask if uh, you guys will welcome my dad. He's going to come here on stage. Have a seat right over there. And for those of you who have no idea what's happening right now is we, uh, we decided to do something different this Sunday. And this Sunday what we're doing is uh, we've called this uh, message, Ask Anything. Ask anything. So for the past couple of weeks, you guys have been sending in questions, a bunch of questions. Some of them are, you know, easy questions to answer. Others are not that easy, right? And so uh, the hard ones he's going to answer, and I'll go for the easy ones. Um, but the honest truth is we have, we have a lot of questions here, and uh, you guys did a great job in just, you know, we're probably not going to be able to get through all of them. Um, so what I want to do here is, uh, if my iPad responds here, is um, we are going to uh, just kind of go through the questions, and uh, we're going to do the best that we can to be able to answer these questions. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a control freak, and so the fact that I don't have absolute control of everything that's going to happen right now is driving me a little bit crazy, but it's probably, good. it's probably a good thing. And so the question number one is, I'm going to ask my dad this question, and when he answers this question, he's also going to uh, give some context of his uh, history, how uh, he came to Chile, et cetera. And we also have some pictures of our uh, heritage. So I've talked to you guys about uh, me being fifth generation of pastors. And so we actually found pictures of these, of these people who we're talking about. So we, we'll be able to see them here. So anyway, question number one um, is this. What was the hardest thing you and your family had to do to endure, had to, sorry, endure when you first moved to Chile? Oh, let me turn the mic on here real quick. There it is. That's probably the easy question. Uh, Josh has said uh, often we listen online, uh, usually on Mondays after Sunday service, and so we get to hear his sermons and hear, as Colleen would say, Josh throw, throwing mom under the bus. Um, but we, we enjoy the fellowship uh, in that way and uh, online. Um, our family, you, you, you need to meet them. You need to meet our family. Josh says it's five generations back. My dad said when I became a pastor, I was seventh generation, which would make Josh eighth generation pastor. Uh, we could only find five. 
We only went back that far. After that, we know who they are, but we have no idea if they were preachers or not. Um, Josh's great-great-granddad, Andrew, moved from Indiana to the coal mines and the lead mines of Kansas. There he joined the brand-new Pittsburgh First Christian Church. We're talking about 19, uh, 1870, about the time the church here started, I understand, 1970. Uh, he joined that church, he became a deacon, he became a lay pastor, and in 1889, right after his youngest son Clifton was born, they decided to pack up everything. This is mom and dad. No, this is Clifton. But before them, yeah, there they are. He was a coal miner and, uh, and later a preacher. He packed up everything and found out that in Oregon, he could get really cheap land to farm. So he packed them all up. Uh, Clifton who you'll see in the picture there. There is the youngest, the one that looks almost identical to Josh. He's got more hair, though. <laughs> he, uh, uh, so they all moved to, to Eastern Oregon. And in Eastern Oregon, the first thing they did, uh, Clifton, who was the youngest, was only a year old at that time. They moved there, they started a church, and they started a school. And that's how our story uh, began. I don't know why he did that, but uh, it, it seems to be in the blood. He, uh, he grew up in the church, he grew up in the school, and they farmed the land. Uh, when he got old enough, he went to Bible college, to Eugene Bible Seminary, and there he met Amy, who was a poet laureate of Florida, of, of uh, Oregon, and uh, was an actress. And uh, they were married and then moved back to Elgin, Oregon, which is Eastern Oregon, and uh, pastored the church there, the, the Christian church there. It was interesting that both uh, Clifton and Amy were ordained pastors of the Christian church. Uh, we're talking about a long time ago, and this was, uh, wasn't very common. But she was a great preacher. They devised a scheme they were going to evangelize uh, Oregon and uh, Northern California. So this was back in the lumbering days. And uh, at that time, uh, Clifton would go into the lumber camps, and the only place you could find to meet was the tavern. The only building that was there was the tavern. So he would tell the barkeep or the owner of the tavern, he says, you can have it six days, but on Sunday, this is ours. We're doing church here. And he would start the church and almost all men in the congregation in the beginning. But then quickly the families began to move there. The, the guys built homes. And then Amy would arrive. When Amy arrived with her kids, then Clifton went off to another camp and started another church. They did this over and over and over again. My dad told me that uh, of all the churches they started, there were still 13 Christian churches that... Uh, Josh's great-granddad had established in uh, Northern California and Oregon. I only say this for the glory of God because God does it all. He always has done it all. Uh, each, each part of the family has their story. But Clifton's oldest son, Clifton and Amy's oldest son, was my dad, Woodrow Phillips. Uh, Woodrow Phillips, my dad told me, he said... Uh, 
When I was a kid, we never stayed in one town more than a year. Now, I know that my dad was known for um, scandalous things. He was a preacher's kid, and he did scandalous things. I won't go into the details. And that might be why they only stayed less than a year in every town. <laughs> but he went from school to school, from place to place, and, and grew up that way in these uh, lumber camp uh, towns. Uh, when he got into high school, and uh, he was not a follower of Christ at all. He was going to do his whole thing. But someone invited him to, him to a Christian camp. And when he was in high school, he went to a Christian camp, and there he found Christ. He grew up in a Christian home, but he had never made a decision to follow Christ. And there he did, and immediately enrolled in Eugene Bible Seminary, in, in uh uh, in San Jose Bible College and uh, went to school there, met my mom. They got married after a very brief uh, time together. And uh, it, when he graduated, he started a couple of churches in, in California. California then went to Jamaica as a missionary. Uh, I wasn't even a year old at that time. I had an older brother and an older sister. And we went to Jamaica and there he started uh, churches and uh, helped to found the Jamaica Bible Seminary. Uh, trying to make this as brief as possible, uh, Dad had two sons and, three and two daughters. My oldest uh, sister went to Africa as a missionary. My brother and I went to Chile as missionaries. None of us had any intention of being missionaries. I made a deal with, with God when I was very young. And the deal was this, Lord, I will follow you and I will do anything you want. I was a child, but I'll follow you and I'll do everything that you want, except, you ever done that prayer? I will do anything you want, except I will never be a preacher. I will never teach in a Bible seminary, and I will certainly never be a missionary. God must have had a good laugh about that. I, I can just, just imagine. We, it was never in our plans. I was going to be a basketball coach, that was my dream. Long story short, um, started Bible college and a church called up and said, would you come as a youth minister? Um, I think they did it because my dad was president of the, of the Bible college. He, the same college he went to in San Jose, he came back and was president of that college. <laughs> People told stories about how scandalous he was and they couldn't believe that he was now president of a Bible college. But I was going to be a basketball coach, and this church called me up. Would you be a youth minister? We really need you. They knew nothing about me. They knew everything about my dad. It goes a long way sometimes. But I decided to do it. And about three weeks after I got there as a youth pastor, the preacher ran away with the secretary of the church. I immediately got a promotion. <laughs> and at 18 years old, I was pastor of a church. That is God's craziness. It was never my intention. But um, after we pastored about eight years in, uh, in the United States, we decided by a, a long process to go to Chile as missionaries. Our commitment was two years. It's now 45 years later. End of the story. Wasn't that great? You could just keep this going. 
So, so ne next question is really an interesting one because it actually has to do with the whole idea of God's process in people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you assume that you grew up in a Christian home and then uh, as a result of growing up in a Christian home, then you're going to be a Christian, you're going to follow, <laughs> you don't know, your parents. And, uh, you know, it's, that hasn't been my story. You know, I walked away. You guys know my story. I've, I've shared it a little bit. I walked away from church, then came back. I had a personal revelation of Jesus, and that's what I, what I really wanted. But uh, oh, that's the thing that I actually needed. But the next question is this. What advice would you give to parents? This this may apply to many of you here. What advice would you give to parents who have adult children that don't accept the faith of their parents? Well, that is the question for all of us. Yeah. And growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> uh, you've heard stories about preacher's kids. The stories about preacher's kids, missionary kids are far worse. Um, you, Thanks. You, you, you see... There, there's, there's an amazing thing that happens. You see your parents dedicating their life to bringing people to Christ. You admire that. You go, wow, that is so great. But I sure don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. The sacrifice is too much. The work is too hard. There's too many obstacles in the way. And you do it on very little money. <laughs> uh, at least that was our case. In, in that we, you can't inherit. I shared about our family, but you don't inherit being a Christian. You don't inherit being called as a pastor. God does all of the calling. God does all of the work as Pastor Josh has shared over and over again. And it's only by God's grace that any of us come to salvation. And in this, what's the best advice that we can give? I took the advice from my brother. My brother went to Chile as a missionary. He was there for two years. He completed his commitment and went on to, to do other work in missions. But he had a son, a little older than Josh, named Jeremy, who, who was a very faithful, faithful follower of the Grateful Dead. Now, some of you know who the Grateful Dead are. He would go to every concert he would put on his backpack and went everywhere. After they finished uh, different tours, he headed to Europe he, with his best friend who was an atheist. And so my brother, who was a pastor of a church in Philadelphia, got some friends together that had a similar situation. They didn't do a Bible study. They didn't do singing. They didn't do anything except pray for their kids who were not yet followers of Christ. In the story of Jeremy, Jeremy was wandering around uh, Germany. And in Germany, he woke up one Sunday morning and started walking around the streets, left his atheist friend at home to sleep a little longer. And when he got out in the street, he heard lots of noise and started to find out where the noise was. And there he rounded a corner and there were all of these people singing songs about Jesus out in the open, carrying placards about Jesus. Uh, being obnoxious to the entire world of telling them how wonderful Jesus was. And this is Josh's cousin. His first response was, wow, these crazy people are all over the world. I can't get away from this at all. And then the Holy Spirit put a message in his head that changed his life. Are all of these people wrong? Are all of these people wrong? Which brings the second question. Am I wrong? <laughs> he runs back 
to the place where they were staying and tells his atheist friend what has happened. His atheist friend says, you got to get down on your knees and pray. And he was sincere. And he did. And he began his walk with, with Christ. He found a preacher there, happily in, in Germany, found a good evangelical preacher, a conservative, and they led him to the Lord in a more formal way. He called his dad and immediately went to YWAM to study to, to be a minister. In all of our lives, there's that story. You know Josh's story. I wanted to be a coach. I don't know about our four, my forefathers, what they wanted to do, but God will change you if you're willing to just say, I will do anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. Now, maybe he wants you to be a business person. Maybe he wants you to be a teacher. Maybe he wants you to do all of these other things. Maybe he doesn't call you to be a pastor or a missionary. And that's not a horrible thing. But he does call us to be disciples and to make disciples. Amen. Wow. I just want to applaud. I mean, it's like, I'll just keep throwing questions your way. This is... Well, the advice, the, the question you actually ask is, what is the advice? I took the advice of my brother... And we began praying for Josh when he was in his <laughs> no, when he was in his in his craziness years. And uh, the only we thing we I don't just... talk about that. <laughs> the only thing I would do is is go over once a week to Santiago. It was about a two-hour trip, and we would have lunch together once a week. And I was always amazed that every once in a while, he would say, "Dad, would you pray for me about this?" Now, he wasn't a follower of Christ at the time, but he would say things like this. Then he would come home on the weekend and fight with his mom. So, is that right? Yep. <laughs> she would fight with me. The, the, advice, <laughs> the advice, obviously, is we stop manipulating. We stop trying to force the hand of God through our own efforts. And we just say, Lord, it's in your hands. Please, please bring them to your ways. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, uh, I'll speak a little bit more on that because it's so true uh, in, in my own story. Um, you know, I've told you guys before, it wasn't that, that I held on to God. I've talked about that before. It's not that I held on to God through my hardest times. It's that in my, my darkest moments, God never let go of me. And that was, that was so true. And so if, if you're here today and you have children that are far from God and you're concerned about them, or you have a friend that's far from God or a spouse that's far from God, and you're wondering, what else can I do? Like I've talked to them. I have told them what the word says. I've insisted, I've insisted, I've insisted. I would say this, number one, God loves them more than you ever will. So they're in good hands. And number two, I would say pray. Because sometimes we're good at telling people, hey, you should do this, you should do that. But we don't understand the power of prayer. Like I'll, I'll tell you right now, I see a direct correlation, uh, correlation or, or direct um, uh, relationship between the prayers that were done over my life and God showing up in my life and pulling me out of where I was. And so I would say that if there's someone in your life, just, just start praying. Pray for them every day, every single day. Pray for them. Uh, pray with, with a spouse. Find a group of uh, people to pray with. I remember I would come home on, my, on weekends, and my mom would say, you know, we've been praying for you. 
And that would make me so mad. I don't know why it would make me mad. It would just, you know, it would set me off. But, but those prayers worked. And so I would say that. And the other thing that I wanted, wanted to share is if you have someone that's far from God, don't, don't be overly concerned. And here's why. I want to piggyback on what you said. You don't want for your children to have an inherited faith. An inherited faith is not worth anything because they don't, you don't want them to believe because you believe. You want them to believe because they know why they believe and they've, they've had what I call a personal revelation of Jesus because that will change their life and it will be sustainable in time as well. So um, take courage. God's in control and he loves them more than you do. So uh, that's what I'll say. Let me move on to this, this question about... Um, it says, I've been remotely viewing the church's services on Sunday. I'm considered a very high risk against COVID. My question is, how come I don't receive the full electrical spirit from remotely versus being in church? I feel like I'm distancing myself from the fellowship, but I always am faithful in my beliefs to the Lord and His Son. Okay. So that's, that's a question about the importance of fellowship. Right. Like, like how important is it for actually for us to meet physically and what's the difference between just, you know, sort of watching it online. And so I'll, two verses that, that I'll, I'll share is one is Hebrews 10.25, which says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another um, and uh, all the more as we see the day approaching. And so that's the verse, that's one verse. And then Acts chapter 2 Toward the end of chapter 2, you'll see the fellowship of believers and how uh, they would meet um, together. And so I'll start off by saying it's not the same thing to meet in person than it is to watch service online. And I'll, I'll make a comparison. It's like, like your favorite band, you know, um, watching a live concert versus listening to the album. Like there's a bunch of things that you're going to miss. The same thing is true with church. If you watch it online, you're going to miss the full impact of the message. You're going to miss the full experience of singing corporately. You're going to uh, miss the experience of being prayed over. You're going to miss the experience of doing communion together, like sharing uh, the, the body of Christ together. Um, something I've never heard is, is this. Is I, I've never heard this before. Someone saying, you know what? I used to come to church in person. Now I went... Uh, only to watching services online, and, I, and as a result of that, I now feel closer to God than I've ever felt before. I've never heard that before. I've heard the opposite, you know, and, and, this is the, and, here's, and here's the reason. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the word, the word in the Greek for church is ekklesia, and the literal translation uh, is gathering. It's, it's a literal gathering of people. It's, it's, it's an assembly of people. The Bible was written also under the understanding that it would be read publicly and corporately. And so if you're not doing church in person, you're not gathering, so you're not doing church in the way that church was meant to be experienced. Now, also, disclaimer, you're not sinning if you're just watching church online. But church, um, church online was meant for you're out on a trip right? Or, you know, you physically can't make it, or you're not, you're not feeling well, which is, seems to be the case um, here. Well, we're really glad you have it online, because yes, people true. in Chile, they can't be here. We can't be here every Sunday, but we can enjoy a Monday, Monday Sunday service, yeah. and, uh, and that's helpful. It was very different to hear the band in, uh, online, and to be here live. Yeah. Uh, worshiping together is one of the most 
beautiful experiences of a Christian uh, walk, doing it together. You can sing in the shower, you can sing at home, you can sing alone, but man, when you get together with other Christians and sing praises to God, uh, there's nothing like it. It, it brings us to a question of um, what's your favorite song or favorite hymn from the church? Do you have a favorite one? Yeah. Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, that's my son. Same one. That's my boy. <laughs> Man, in Spanish it's or in English, one. it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Great is thy faithfulness. Man, it makes the tears just flow. Yeah. Don't that's... worry. We're not going to sing it. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll free you from that experience. So we actually have four minutes left. Can you believe that? Oh. We've gone through and we're at question number four. So, but I really wanted to, I, I really wanted us to talk about this one. Hmm. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. So can you explain 2 Peter uh, <laughs> chapter 2? <laughs> you got three minutes to explain it. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 22 um, I believe once saved, always saved. However, uh, it seems this might be for someone who, ne who was never truly saved. Uh, not sure. What, sorry, would God let you go down your own destructive path and not continue to pursue you? So just for context, I'm going to read the verse so you guys know what we're talking about. And then he'll close with that. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 says this, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Uh, of them, the proverbs, are, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. <laughs> Sorry. Why don't you pick an easy one, right? <laughs> that figure of, of the dog returning to the vomit and the sow returning to the, to the pig pen, my goodness. Um, The best thing I can say in this is you can't take one or two verses just as if they're all by themselves. That, that you can basically prove anything from the Bible by taking one verse or one phrase or one part. You can, you can take any political party and prove. You can take any movement and prove something by taking it, as we say, out of context. Out of context is simply that you're not looking before those verses and after those verses. You're only looking at the one verse. The one verse is true, but it's true within the context. Here, if you read, uh, and if you have your Bible, you can look up Second Peter chapter 2. <laughs> There's a big title at the top. By the way, the titles obviously were not in the Bible originally, but it says false teachers or false prophets. The whole chapter is talking about false teachers and false prophets. And it's talking about just how horrible they are and how they divide the church and how they take advantage of people. They're taking your money. They're looking for sexual favors. They're looking to try to pervert the true gospel. And unfortunately, that hasn't changed over the years. It's only gotten more intense with social media, more intense with all of the... Uh, communication devices that we have today. Uh, you can hear preaching on any subject 
uh, and, and be drawn astray. He's looking here at the motives. So when we're getting down to verses 20, 21, 22, uh, he's talking in the context of what about these people? There are people that know the gospel, but they don't follow the gospel. They use the gospel for their own selfish purposes. And there are people like that today. There was then. And the scripture is saying, be careful of these guys. Be careful of these people that are trying to change the gospel into something that we know is good news. They're really changing it into bad news. It's something that, that they're doing for their own selfish needs. So anytime you look at any passage of scripture, even John 3.16, you can't just take it without looking at John 3.15 and John 3.17. You've got to look at the whole picture to understand what the author is trying to communicate. And in this case, it's not a case of, I was saved, but then I turned away. No, it was a case of, I'm a false prophet. I'm trying to cheat you and fool you. And it's worse than a dog going back to his vomit and a pig going back to his sty. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I will add just a little bit to that. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's a graduate from, from Biola, and I was just we're having conversations, and I asked him a question. I told him, it's not Shay, by the way. It's a friend of Shay's. Um, and so he, I was, we were just talking about church stuff, and I asked him, uh, what's wrong with church, like with church in general? And he didn't skip a beat. He said biblical illiteracy. And I think that he's right. I think that he's right. And I, I tell you this with like, like, imagine that I'm giving you a big bear hug as I'm telling you this, but I don't think we know our Bibles. I don't think we know our Bibles. I think we need to do better. If I were to, if, if I were to give you a gift, the thing that I would most want for you is for you to be able to study the Bible on your own. And so that's something that I've been praying about, we've been talking about. And so just a couple of things that I'll say very generally before we close here is that when you read the Bible, first of all, you're not reading a book. You're reading a collection of books. You're reading a library. So when you open the scriptures, imagine that you're walking into a library. And in the library, you're going to see different genres. You're going to see history. You're going to see nonfiction. You're going to see, you know, books about cooking, right, etc. And then you're not going to read a cookbook in the same way that you'll read history. And so that's very important for when we understand scripture. And so when we go to a scripture like Second Peter, first of all, what is it that we're reading? Well, it's a letter. Okay, so now you know. It's a letter. So how do you read a letter? You're not going to read it like you would read a history book. And so I want to give an example that I've used before. I'm going to read you a letter. This is a made-up letter. It's a short letter, but it's to illustrate a point. This is the letter. It says this. It says, Hi, Alan. I want to let you know that even though we had some good times, I am breaking up with you today. I'm sorry if this letter hurts you, but I think we will be better off separated from now on. Best regards, your now ex-girlfriend, Ellen. What's that letter about? It's a breakup letter, right? What if I told you it wasn't? What if I just read the part that I want to read? What if I read one section of it which says, I want to let you know that even though we had some good times, you could take that part of the letter and say, hey, this is a letter about all the good times that we've had together, right? So we can do the exact same thing with scripture. Two words, two um, sort of theological words, exegesis, eisegesis. Exegesis is extracting the meaning from the scripture. Eisegesis is saying, hey, I want to communicate this. I'm going to find some verses in there to support what I want to say. 
that's where it becomes dangerous, and that's what, that what you were talking about before. And so when we look at this scripture specifically, we have to ask a few questions. One of those questions is, who is, it, who is the letter, what is the letter talking about in this context? Well, you could assume that the letter is saying, um, that, that, that that section of the letter is saying that um, there's two categories of punishment. There's one category that God's going to punish you more severely if you, heard the, if you heard the word and then walked away from it. And then there's going to be another punishment that is not as severe if you just never heard the word and then never responded to it. Well, that's not what it's talking about because it never ever says that the punishment comes from God. In fact, it says they are worse off, which are is very important because it's not saying they will be worse off. They're saying they are worse off. In other words, they're receiving the, the uh, consequence of their decision in real time. And the other thing is that who is it talking to? Well, unless you're a false teacher and you're trying to deceive everybody, this portion of the scripture is not for you. And so that's just kind of general things that we have to understand when we look into uh, the scriptures. And so I, I hope that was helpful. This went by really fast, way too fast. I don't know if you guys are bored, but I'm having a good time. We could keep going. And so here, I want to I put you on the spot. I want to put you on the spot before we, before we end. We have a lot of questions. Everything else was written on here. There are lots of questions, and now he's going to put me on the spot. Yeah. No, 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 no. I was going to ask you this this morning, but I forgot. Um, so we have a lot of eschatology questions as well. We have like four questions about eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. In other words, how does this whole thing end, right? Second uh, uh, Thessalonians and also the book of Revelation. And so I'm going to put you on the spot right now, but... I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. I'm not just going to have you unpack, you know, if we're pro-millennial or non-millennial or, you know, post-millennial. I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to do a podcast with me tomorrow or Tuesday where we'll, you and I will sit down and we'll go through the rest of the questions? Oh, my. First, first he asked me to preach. First he asked oh, me to right. preach. And I said, no, I'd rather not preach. I'm, I might get lost in the middle of the sermon somewhere and it would be embarrassing for everyone. And so he had me do this, which is 10 times harder. <laughs> and now he wants well, a podcast. Because he told me, he told me, okay, here's what you, happened. You know your preacher, right? Yeah. He's very insistent. He's going to get his way. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do that. All right. We'll do that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So we'll do it either Monday or Tuesday, and then I'll, I'll let you guys know uh, when it comes out. But I, would, I really want to say thank you. Thank you for doing this. This was really special. Uh, it was special for me. I, hope, I think it was special for you too, uh, as well. But just to go back a little bit on what you just said, he, he was, my dad is in a different stage of life right now in the sense that he's not doing any preaching anymore and he's not doing any weddings, he's not doing any funerals uh, because he, his, his mindset is like, there are other people. I want to give the opportunity to other people. So I kind of tricked him because it's not technically a sermon and so he fell for it and then um, he'll fall for the um, podcast as well. So... Um, we're going to go into our time of communion now, and this is the time uh, during uh, the service where we um, remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, before you leave, I want to ask you to pray. Um, I'm going to ask you to pray, yeah, yeah. And so as we come into this time, uh, we're going to take a couple of minutes and feel free to move around. We've got communion up front. We've got communion in the back. Um, and so uh, if you could just uh, pray, pray us out, and then we'll go into a couple of minutes of just uh, 
thinking about uh, what we've heard. And then Pastor Mark is going to come on stage and he's going to close off the service. We thank you, Lord, so much for the special time this morning. It's, uh, it's always a joy to, to talk and converse with Josh and especially about important things in life. We thank you for the church that uh, is, has been so special to Josh and his family and the love that they have for him and the love that Josh and family have for the church. Uh, we thank you that you designed the church, you made the church, you founded the church, you're the head of the church, and we thank you that you've given us this special time of communion also, that we can, in a very physical way, in a, and in an emblematic way, in a small way, remember your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Uh, we, play, we pray your blessing upon all who are attending here this morning and those that are listening in online. And we pray that, uh, and know that any question, any question that we have about Christian faith uh, needs to have a good answer, needs to have a right answer, needs to, to be responded to uh, with good intention. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you'd uh, bless us as we finish answering these questions in the podcast. Uh, bless us now, we pray uh, again with your presence in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.